From some kitchen where weird food combinations are made, it's the IGN DigiGuys. And now, please welcome two cooks who'd rather use Thor's hammer to mince meat than bash skulls, Mark Kaiser and Wade Major. Hey, wait a minute. That put me last. That's different, Corey. Who, who did that? That was written by Ashley Fakava. It's pronounced Fakava, don't bleep me. Ah, uh, Ashley did that. That's kind of, it's, it's nice. I, I, I don't mind being last. It, uh, it's also you... a new name. I have not heard Ashley's name. It's usually, you know, we have, our, we have a group of super yes, fans who we always appreciate. And they always, you, uh, they always, you know, submit that a lot a, of that was uh, a good intro. opens. But we here's Ashley. Ashley. A new name. Joining the fray. Yes, and we like that. Joining the fray. So, Mark, how's your voice? You know, it's getting a little better, I guess, but not 100%. I think you can tell. Yeah, it's okay. And so we, the, the reason why my voice is not getting better is because no one will let me shut up. <laughs> it's like if I could just not talk for a day, it would be fine. But the thing is that I can never not talk. Like I am now about to talk nonstop for an yeah, it's hour. That's true. Well, we'll give you, we'll give you another uh, week's respite here in a moment. Thank you. Uh, and you talk a lot at work, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I'm the boss. People come to me and they ask me stuff. I'm like, leave me alone. You can't just lock yourself in an office and just throw them the bird? Oh, I, I, I throw them the bird <laughs> up here in my mind. They don't know that. Oh, yeah. I don't do that. That's uh, very mean. Of course. I so. do that. I don't do, I don't do that. I do that. Uh, we've got uh, listener mail. We've yeah, got audio listener audio mail. Audio listener yeah, mail. Yeah, and regular listener mail. If you have any, just send it to us at gods at digigods.com. That would be gods at digigods.com. Uh, we've got some terrific uh, stuff this week. It's, we're slowly ramping up. You know, January is a lame month for movies, and it tends to be kind of a lame month for DVDs as well and Blu-rays because it's uh, if you're looking kind of at the window, it, January is when movies get released that aren't good enough for the holiday season, and then it's also when all the, the crap from late summer and Labor Day winds up getting released on DVD and Blu-ray. So it, it's kind of the worst month of the year for anything. And it's fine because people are broke from the holidays, so nobody really expects anyone to have any money to buy the new titles. So they, I am they release... not broke from the holidays. You're not? I have no brothers. I you have were, no sisters. You were frugal. I have no wife, no kids. I. You were frugal. I know what to buy for. My mother. Frugal Kaiser. I know what to buy for. I know. I have a rather large extended family I, I, by Yes, marriage. I know you do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of people there. Anyway, uh, is there any news? Anything? Redbox is claiming something to do with the Warner deal that, that I wasn't quite following. Did you follow that? What? There's a, there's a Redbox Warner thing, something with the window... Yeah, well, now uh, it's 56 days now. Yeah, Redbox is claiming that they can, they're can. they still going to negotiate that away. They might. Uh, it's very strange. You know, it's just the thing is that if this goes through, it's not like you'll, you will not be able to rent Warner Brothers films via Redbox or Netflix. It just means that Redbox and Netflix will have to go somewhere else yeah. to procure those discs. I mean, literally, Netflix may just... Go to Best Buy, I guess, and buy fifteen copies of Contagion yeah, or whatever, not or Contagion, something or something, and that's how they stock their shelves. You know, uh, well, before we get into uh, the listener mail and the audio listener mail, Mark, your your buddy Greg Kinnear keeps picking some dopey movies. It is weird. I mean, he's a talented dude, and he's gotten himself at least one Oscar nomination, and I just don't know why he keeps picking these movies. Um, this would be, I don't know how she does it, starring Sarah Jessica Parker, Pierce Brosnan, and Greg Kinnear. This thing came out from the Weinstein Company, who normally knows better, and I just don't, I don't know how they make it. It shouldn't be titled, I don't know how she does it. It should be titled, I don't know how they greenlight this. Um, it came with swag, Mark. Would you, uh, would you like to explain this swag that is supposed to uh, make us positively review this Blu-ray? It is a 25-cent uh, a piece of costume jewelry <laughs> earrings in a little tiny bag that says, I don't know how she does it. <laughs> What's the purpose of this? I have no idea. I mean, who, who's going to... 
I, you know what? I guess if you're like a nine-year-old girl, yeah, and and that's great. and you know, maybe this is a piece of costume jewelry you can mm-hmm. finally have for your very own. But the wow. thing is that these are these are pierced. These are for pierced ears. Look at this. Yeah, I don't know. Well, anyway, Sarah Jessica Parker and Greg Kinnear, they're married, and she's a professional woman. And gosh, I just don't know how she does it. She balances it all. She's got job and family and home and all that stuff and the kids and the thing and the this and the that. And, um, you know, then you throw Pierce Brosnan in there and uh, a few business complications. And, oh, wow, it might be some kind of uh, tension. Do I sound enthused? Although, you know, Greg, uh, Greg has another film coming out called Thin Ice. With um, It's screening now. Oh, really? It's like a thriller. It seems like some sort of insurance fraud thriller, I think. That sounds more interesting than this. This shouldn't be on Blu-ray or on DVD. I, I, just, I feel so bad for everyone in this. I just, why would they do this? How did this thing get made? Who, who directed it? Uh, someone whose name I can't pronounce. That's uh, not a good sign. No. Anyway, get that out of the way, and it's horrible, horrible swag. Um, Birkin Hare. Mark, you know the whole story of Birkin Hare, don't you? Uh, re- re- you should remind the folks. Birkin Hare, William Burke uh, and William Hare were a couple of uh, very successful, shall we say, grave robbers. And uh, this, of course, is not a contemporary film. I think people know well enough that grave robbing kind of went out in the 19th century. Uh, But this is a surprisingly good return to form for director John Landis. And John Landis hasn't had a theatrical film, by the way, of any note since, what, like Beverly Hills Cop 3? Yeah, well, you know, he, he's been doing documentaries, and some of them are pretty good, but they're low-budget documentaries that yeah. get very little attention. You know, John Landis is amazing. I just want to say that. I know the guy's caught a lot of flack over the years. I, um, I, I met him when, I, when uh, I did this little... I was doing this series of films, if you remember, way back for the, at the Skirball Center, where people, you know, directors and actors and people would come in with, you know, films that inspired them, and you do a little Q&A and you watch like, you know, like uh, Roland Emmerich chose Close Encounters and we had a little chat and, you know. And um, John Landis chose The Wizard of Oz. And it was, it was extraordinary. I mean, it was really amazing. He came in not just to do a Q&A and, hi, folks, I'm John Landis. Here, okay, ask me some questions. He came in with a book with uh, pages marked, with notes, and I didn't even have to do a Q&A. I just said, uh, Mr. Landis, uh, why do you love this movie so much? And, and he went launched into like a 45-minute college lecture on the brilliance of The Wizard of Oz. It was incredible. I think that's um, it low, was extraordinary. low self-esteem. I'll tell you why. Why? Because I produced him on a show. Yeah. Right? It was a full-length, full, a show-length interview with John uh-huh. Landis. And my job was to produce the interview. Talk to him on the phone beforehand discuss what what's going to happen during the interview yeah and he was very nervous because i don't think he had ever done a full-length television interview on like a network talk show yes. so he does a show he's very very nice a week later we get a letter it's a letter from john he wrote us a letter thanking us nice. and I, I, in fact i still have the letter the letter said in the letter he writes something along the lines of I like, you know, he thanked the executive producer, and then he says, and I always like to thank Mark Kaiser. And the last line of the letter was that John Landis wrote to myself and the executive producer. The last line was something along the lines of, um, I didn't look nervous as much as I looked fat. That's, uh-huh. what, that's what he said. But you know what? He, he and, and he and his wife, too. I mean, it was, we had just lovely conversations both before the Q&A and after. I, I think he's great. I think your story just corroborates mine. He's a great guy. He, you know what? I he's, thoroughly he's, enjoyed him. He's totally menschy. He's a mensch. He's, a, he's absolutely a mensch. And, you know, not to keep name dropping, but when I did that thing for uh, Colcoa a couple of years ago where I interviewed um, uh, Costa Gavras, I, it, it, John Lannis was in the audience because he's a friend of Costa's and he kept he kept blurting stuff out like in the middle of the thing he goes Charlie Bluthorn would never have let that happen you know it was, I mean it was great it was just a it was just really animated and Costa Gavras and John Landis Costa Gavras loved it he was cracking up he kept looking out he goes you're right John you're right you know I, yeah good friends who knew 
Anyway, John Landis, directed Burke and Hare, gets, gets him back into the saddle for feature films. And you know what? My feeling is, where has he been all these years? Uh, it, it's a, it, this is a really an incredibly clever, smart, uh, very entertaining film with uh, Simon Pegg and Andy Serkis, which is a great pairing, playing the famous grave robbers. And the, the whole idea is, you know, that back in the day when you had all these medical schools in the 19th century in England, you, grave robbers were the guys who, you know, would go and dig up corpses and uh, sell them to uh, medical schools. And to physicians, and uh, it's actually it's quite a, a clever uh, take on it. I don't know how much of this is true to the the history because Burke and Hare actually are historical figures, but it uh, it certainly uh, makes a good go of it. And the other interesting thing about this this is the relaunch of Ealing Studios. You know, Ealing has been dead for decades. Um, one of the famous comedy studios uh, in the UK, and this is the new Ealing. So we now have a resurrected Hammer and a resurrected Ealing. Isn't that interesting? Well, unfortunately, the first resurrected... Everything old is new again. Well, the first resurrected Hammer film was Let Me In, yep. which didn't do well, and the first resurrected Ealing film was Broken Hair, which yeah. is going straight to DVD. Yeah. By the way, I'm about to cough. That's okay. Go ahead and cough. Everyone understands. You're, <laughs> you're in recovery. Just don't cough on me. Why, thank you. Uh, and also, I want to say this is uh, the nice thing that Landis does here. It's two point, It's a 2.4 uh, widescreen. Really wide. Wow. Beautifully done. Very nice. Very, very nice. Is that right, Wade? Yes, it is. Uh, uh, Wade, here's the thing. Yes, sir. There's a movie. And what is that movie? Uh, Sid and Nancy is now out on Blu-ray. Sid and oh, Nancy yeah. from 1986. This is a uh, quite a morbid little... Crazy drug-fueled story about um, <laughs> Sex Pistols frontman uh, Sid uh, Vicious and his girlfriend Nancy Spungen. They were hardcore drug addicts, and uh, this is the this is the movie that really put Gary Oldman on the map. I mean, he was so intense, so yeah. intense in this film. And Alex he, he Cox, was a, he was a big deal in uh, in. Uh, Television in the UK, but not really internationally. This is what. Well, this is it. I mean, this yeah. is this is just great stuff. I mean, he is just. And and if the thing with Gary Oldman is that I love the fact that Gary Oldman is is just around. I agree because he has that live wire. Yeah. Don't know what you're going to get. Totally. Kind of. That's his thing. This is two weeks in a row that we've got an Alex Cox film because we had uh, Highway Patrolman Highway last Patrolman. week, and it's two weeks in a row that we're doing a, a Godard film too. That is true. Uh, a couple special features on this, not great. One thing, a couple featurettes uh, for the love of punk, all about uh, punk music. Uh, but still, it's an old film. It's a low-budget film. Is it uh, Blu-ray incredible? Of course it is not. But it's still if a great you, film. If you have your Criterion uh, DVD, don't get rid of it. Don't get rid of it. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, keep that Criterion DVD. But that's uh, out of DVD. print. It is out of print. So hang on to that damn thing. Hang on to it. Uh, Mark, Icequake also didn't make it into theaters, which is just a, a horrible tragedy because Icequake uh, may actually be the greatest film ever made. <laughs> You're laughing. It's like Nature I'm, Unleashed. It is. This is, uh, you know, uh, and it's funny, we should let Alonzo know that this is a Christmas movie. Because it is. Icequake is uh, technically a Christmas movie. So, uh, so Santa comes and uh, he's so know, fat, he causes an Icequake. It's like, it's, it's, more, it's more a Christmas film in the same vein as uh, like Die Hard and uh, Lethal Weapon. No, it's, uh, you're, it's Christmas Eve in Alaska and there's this giant uh, quake and a collapse of an ice shelf somewhere over on the Russian side of the uh, Arctic. And it creates just a, a haywire and, uh, oh, it's not, not haywire like in the Soderbergh film, but it creates problems. Wade, watch this, Wade. Watch Tell what? the people what I'm doing. You're putting your glasses on. I wear reading glasses now. Yep. Damn right you do. Uh, you know what? In all seriousness, this is a, kind of a silly film. It was made for sci-fi. And uh, it's uh, a Canadian production. So, kind of do the math. A Canadian film that was made for sci-fi, not going to be all that brilliant in terms of production value and special effects. But you know what? For uh, you know, for a, a movie that could have just completely vanished into obscurity, they uh, they did a relatively decent job with it. Now it's available on uh, both uh, DVD and Blu-ray. I'm going to actually not recommend the Blu-ray because the cheesiness of the uh, the production value and the effects are, it really comes across in Blu-ray. It's it's almost a more effective film in uh, in DVD because it's you know who really needs to experience ice quake in high def? I Not do really. No, you don't. Uh, wait, I have a recommendation for the people. And what would that recommendation be? That would be an interesting little funky, profane, quirky comedy called The Guard. 
Ooh, I didn't see this. I missed this. It's you know what? It's funny stuff. The guard is uh, stars Brendan uh, Gleeson and Don Cheadle. Love them both. Of course, you love them both. That's it. Yeah. Automatically, it's a good pairing. Uh, Brendan ple- uh, Brendan plays a uh, an Irish policeman. Very unorthodox, hires prostitutes, mm-hmm. totally profane, drinks on the job, doesn't give a crap. Yeah. And he winds up uh, being teamed up with an uptight FBI uh, agent, played by Don Cheadle, and they're um, investigating a drug smuggling ring. Mm-hmm. And I thought this movie was just a blast of uniqueness. It's it's kind of a buddy cop film. Yeah. Even though it doesn't really have that kind of... It's, it's, not like a, it's not like a 48 hours buddy cop film, but they're, they're definitely two cops trying to solve a crime. But it's got a terrific script, just an acid-tongued script, and uh, it's just a funky little movie called The Guard. And I liked it a lot. It's a little gem that you probably uh, you know, didn't even know existed, and yet here it is, and you should check it out. Sweet. Yep, The Guard. Very nice. I'm going to have to... Uh, I want to check that out. Uh, I love Brendan Gleeson. He's just he's just such a great actor. Is there is there chemistry between the two of them in this movie? Oh yeah, because they're, they're, they're totally the opposite. Because he because Cheadle is he's uptight, doesn't want to be there, wants to get the job done. It's Gleason, not, I mean, can, can you imagine like like, like, like a big doughy fifty five year old man just like rolling around with prostitutes in his bed? That's and great. Shooting people because he oh, feels see, like oh, it. Oh, see now I've got to watch. It's, it. it's good stuff. I've got to watch it. Uh, you know, these straight-to-video movies sometimes just drive me crazy. Sinners and Saints, uh, I, he, here's how this movie got made, and this is the reason that we're going to talk about this. It's out on Blu-ray and on DVD. Um, surprisingly good looking for a low-budget film of this type. And it's not that low-budget, but it's low-budget enough where the production value and the, you know, the corner cutting is going to look pretty obvious when you watch it on Blu-ray. So uh, i got to say, for a movie of this level and of this type, uh, usually kind of a high-end AFM special, Sinners and Saints uh, really does cut it on Blu-ray. And it's also quite good looking on on the DVD as well. So that much is interesting. Uh, Not really any extras on here, but here's what's interesting. This movie, straight-to-video cop film, uh, it's you know it stars Johnny Strong, who really is a nobody. He's been in a few films. He's you know kind of in the background of Fast and the Furious and Black Hawk Down and some other movies. Um, he plays a cop who un- uh, there's a bu- investigating some murders, uncovers a conspiracy, and the conspiracy winds up being this big thing. And next thing you know is like there's there's guys from the government involved, and, and it's you know all the threads lead somewhere. It's one of those movies, right? We all see this. Like, oh my gosh, what? What are the feds doing down here? It's one of those things. The only reason this movie got made, guess what city he's a, uh, a cop in? Uh, New Orleans. There you go. Tax incentives. Just like uh, the uh, the Mark Wahlberg film that I saw last night. Uh, 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 Contraband? Contraband. I guarantee that the script for Sinners and Saints and the original script yep. it did not take place in New Orleans. Of course not. It took place in New Mexico. It, t- it took place anywhere. Yeah. But they're like, if we can get this place... If we can get this film to take place in New Orleans, we can get it made. Of course. That's all, it's, it's the name of the game these days, is uh, tax incentives. And it's why all these things are just so freaking lame. Um, She's All That is uh, a movie that makes you long for the heyday of Freddie Prinze Jr. There, there, there were, first of all, I don't long for anything Freddie Prinze Jr. has <laughs> ever done. And he had no heyday. Basically, this is like a, this. I can't believe this film is now twelve years old, thirteen years old. This is thirteen years old. I, 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 I never, I never saw it at the time. Yeah, uh, what this is? It's kind of a teen version. Uh, it's a very loosely kind of Pygmalion, My Fair Lady like uh, teen movie with Freddie Prinze Jr. and the wonderful Rachel Lee Cook, who went on to do Josie and the Pussycats and then has done next to nothing since. I know. Um, this was a, um, a Miramax film at the time. It's now being released on Lionsgate. It's just uh, kicking it straight out there with all the, uh, the Miramax stuff that's being re-released. Um, but they apparently consider this to be one of their A-list titles because it's being released through Lionsgate as opposed to through uh, Echo Bridge. And I got a bunch of uh, Miramax stuff uh, from Echo Bridge that I'm going to go through later um, that's uh, now back out again. But uh, She's All That, I find interesting that they would put this on their Lionsgate list as opposed to the Echo Bridge list. So clearly, Freddie still has some juice with the girls. That being said, special features here, audio commentary with uh, director Robert Iskov. Uh, music video for uh, by Sixpence the Richer and the trailer and that's it. Uh, the Blu-ray is so-so. Don't necessarily upgrade your DVD, but uh, if you don't have it, fine. Buy the Blu-ray. 
Wade, uh, last year there was a film called Puncture, which I was curious about because it starred Chris Evans. Who's in uh, <coughs> way too much all of a sudden. Well, the thing is that Chris Evans' career could have gone two ways. Yeah. And I'm surprised that uh, he's in this movie. This doesn't seem like a movie that he would do because I think he's he seems more happy being Captain America and, yeah. and uh, the the humans, the fire, whatever. This is. What's the guy from Fantastic Four? The human fire. Yeah, uh, the, the human, human torch. Sto- human human torch. torch. But uh, here he is, playing this uh, attorney who has a drug problem, and he winds up, uh, you know, battling a health supply corporation. Weird. So it's a dramatic part, and he's not bad in it. He's a little young, and there's something about him where he doesn't really have all. You know, the, the thing with him right now is that. He doesn't have a lot of wear or lines in his face, mm-hmm. so he can't necessarily play these roles where you've got to kind of be damaged. Yeah, he's kind of too young and pretty, mm. but he gave it a shot, and the film is not that bad. It's definitely a character piece. Mm. It's called Puncture, and uh, it's okay. It's on Blu-ray, but you know, it's kind of a mid-budget. It's a mid-budgeted looking thing. So it's not like going to really... He, he has chops. He, he has chops, just that he and... He, uh, he'll have to develop them a lot more yeah. to do more roles like this. Yeah. Well. Uh, another old Bear Max film that curiously is being uh, shot out on the Lionsgate end of things, as opposed to the Echo Bridge end of things, is Serendipity, which uh, is sort of timely in a weird way. And this movie is now 11 years old. It's just so weird to me. These movies feel like they were made yesterday. Uh, Serendipity is a romantic comedy with uh, John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale that just went absolutely nowhere. Um, There was a whole ton of these at this time, and everybody was trying to turn John Cusack into uh, some kind of quasi-sensitive hunk, and it didn't really work. It It was a moment right... At, you know, he went from being that teen actor to that adult actor, and they thought they could, you know, do the sure thing with him over and over and over, except adult versions of it. Never really worked. And uh, he and Kate Beckinsale, not not a lot of chemistry there. Uh, the funny thing is, this is uh, Kate Beckinsale has two movies coming out right now. So she's got Serendipity on Blu-ray, and then she's a blonde in Contraband. She plays Mark Wahlberg's wife. And she gets the crap slapped out of her all through that movie. She's just completely impotent. She just sits around just like, oh, my gosh, you're going to get me. And then someone will come busting through the door and just pound her in the head and whack her head against the door and throw, put it through a window. She really gets the crap beaten out of her in, in contraband. And then at the same time, she's this, like, butt-kicking vampire in the new Underworld film where she's just shooting and wiping things out and running around in an Emma Peel skin-tight latex outfit. Yeah. Can I say something? I've never met uh, Kate Beckinsale, but I have a feeling. Mm-hmm. I, I know this based on nothing. Yeah. I have a feeling she's a bitch. I'm going to say that. You know what? She looked awfully sweet when I saw her at, uh, at the market on Christmas Eve two years ago. But then again, that was, uh, you know, Denise Richards was there that same day. You were always, always seeing somebody at the market on I, Christmas. I didn't go to the market on Christmas Eve this year. I feel really no, bad because I missed, I know I missed no, some. The, the, what was the Danny Boone story? That was the next year. That was last year. Not last year, but the year before uh, 2010. That was Danny Boone and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh, my God. Yep. Now, was, was Danny Boone buying something and Cuba Gooding Jr. behind the counter? No, cash <laughs> Danny Boone was was actually had just bought something and was talking to some uh, kind of Caribbean guy in French, and I intruded on their conversation. And then uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. was you know making hey hey with everybody in the in the store. He like knows everybody. Anyway, so that's uh, that's serendipity, which also comes uh, relatively thin on uh, extras, a little bit more than the other one, though. But, you know, some D- Peter Chelsom, who directed it, does a commentary and some deleted scenes commentary, and the rest is all just uh, featurette stuff and nothing, nothing substantial. Oh, Wade. Uh, Wade, I really liked Contagion. And, you know, it's funny because uh, uh, Steven Soderbergh has an, had announced his retirement after Contagion and Haywire. And he's now backing off on that statement. Yeah, of course he is. Saying that he never really said he was going to retire. Yeah. So um, I had watched Contagion knowing that it might be the second to last Soderbergh film ever. And I, I like this film a lot. It, it, it's This is the sort of film that uh, he... Because Soderbergh is so good. Only he can tell this story this way. It's just very spooky and it's very smart. 
and it's very lean, and I just think it was. But it's kind of soulless. It is. I well, I but I but I think that that was the point. I I don't. The 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 only here's the thing. I I. I the problem I had with this film, although I do, I, li- I liked it a lot. The problem I had with this film is the same problem I had with Moneyball, which is that um, both of them try to end with this touching moment between a father and a daughter. Remember uh, in Moneyball? Yeah, no, absolutely. The, the daughter played, yeah. he plays a song in the car with the daughter. Yeah. And here, he sees his daughter dancing with her prom date or whatever. It tries to kind of wrap it up with that kind of thing, but the problem is that you never really believed that relationship anyway. They they didn't do enough work on it, so they want this emotional beat that they never earned. But but, but in a movie where said, twenty in a movie where like twenty million people die in in forty minutes, I don't really care about any of them. But you wouldn't see those twenty million people. All if if, if you were in this story, all you would see were the corridors and the doctor's offices yeah. of the people trying to trying to cure this disease. Yeah. 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 So I, I liked it a lot, and it was really well shot. It's uh, it was it was well, it was shot by this guy named Peter Andrews. He does yeah. a lot of Steven Soderbergh films. Because <laughs> it's you know, Steven Soderbergh. Uh, I would love to arrange for lunch between Peter Andrews and uh, that guy who uh, makes the Spy Kids films. Because Peter Andrews could tell him a thing or two yeah, exactly. about uh, pseudonyms and, and not taking too many credits and being a little bit exactly. modest. Exactly. Of course, uh, one of the uh, features, uh, special features on this thing is a uh, interview with uh, Matt Damon, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jude Law, Lawrence Fishburne, and of course, medical journalist Sanjay Gupta from CNN. Now, there what is go. Sanjay Gupta doing on this? Well, you see, CNN... Is a uh, is a, is owned by Time Warner. Yeah, there we and go. And Contagious and Warner Brothers film. There we so go. So there's some synergy going on there. Absolutely. Exactly. You know what I loved? I didn't love Contagion, but last year I absolutely loved Higher Ground. I thought, oh, I, I loved it too. Oh my gosh, this great. is a great film. This is out in a Blu-ray DVD combo pack, so you get the full deal here. Now, Higher Ground was made for next to nothing, so uh, the, the Blu-ray is not going to blow your mind. You're not going to look at the Blu-ray and go, oh my gosh, what an incredibly photographed film. It's still a low-budget film, and it still needs to look like a low-budget film. It's still a little bit gritty. Uh, this is Vera Farmiga's directing debut, and uh, it is based on a memoir by Carolyn S. Briggs, which basically details her life growing up in kind of a sort of a hippie evangelical commune community and her faith journey. Uh, and it's a very serious film. It's not cynical with respect to, to religion, but it's not evangel uh, sort of. It doesn't have this evangelical soul where it's really trying to sort of preach to you. Uh, in a way kind of like The Blind Side and other films have. It, it takes a very neutral approach. It's, it's more about character than anything else. And uh, Vera Farmiga is so freaking good in it. It is unbelievable. Um, she's got chops as a writer, as a director, and as an, uh, obviously as an actress. And uh, this has an incredibly cool bit of casting in it, too. Uh, her youngest sister, and she comes from a very large family, so her younger sister is like 20 years younger than she. Her younger sister plays the same character much younger, and they look a lot alike. And uh, it's great casting, absolutely terrific casting. So... Um, Really good movie. John Hawks is in this. He's sort of become the uh, go-to guy for like rural deliverance playing, type, playing uh, r- playing creepy creepy people in rural situations. Yes, that's him. This is like three films in two years that he's done that with. So, uh, but uh, honestly, Higher Ground is just great. It's I so agree. good. I agree, hundred percent. I really I like this film a lot. I was very impressed with its uh, seriousness of purpose. Oh. Without proselytizing or yeah. insulting religion, absolutely. And uh, she's great in it. I really, re- I highly she recommend. It. And you know it. what? I, I, as you know, uh, Wade, am a hardcore agnostic. Yep. And the idea that I would be so over the moon about a film about religion. Yep. Tells you how good it is. There you go. Right on. You know what's not good? What's not good? Killer Elite. Oh, jeez. Is this is this uh, another one of those Avi Lerner things? It, it smells of Avi Lerner. It really does. You know why? Because it, it, it it's a B movie with an A list cast. Yeah. There's uh, De Niro, who at this point, uh, I, I don't know what he's thinking anymore. It's just, I mean, come on. It, Jason Statham's in this too, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, see, so, it's he's, like, so he'll, be, he'll, he'll be driving in a car really fast. <laughs> and, pun- and, and punching someone. And by the way, I don't know what, uh, Clive Owen's fallen off the earth. I, he's got to watch it. Clive Owen's got to be careful because he's kind of like, he was bubbling under. He was going to be like, you know, the new. He had, he had, you know what? He had a great moment there when he did um, the, uh, oh, the Mike, the Mike Nichols film with. Uh, Closer? Now, Closer. He did Closer. 
and then Children of Men, and it's like, wow, this guy, he's really making some some great moves. You know, he he missed out on being the next James Bond. It was sort of down to, to Clive Owen and uh, Daniel Craig, and Daniel Craig got the call, and Clive Owen said, okay, I'm going to be a real actor. And now he's making kind of some questionable choices. I know. Anyway, this is, uh, there was a, there's a film from 1975 called The Killer Elite. This is not really a sequel to that. This is sort of another take on that. But um, anyway, it's a, this retired member of Britain's uh, special, uh, it's, it's like the Elite Special Air Service. They're, it's called into action. Save his mm-hmm. mentor, Wade. Yeah. It's exciting. Yay. It's not exciting. Okay. Great cast, though. It is a great cast. Uh, you know, there's a, a movie called Milestones. Which is very difficult to describe. It this kind of this is sort of like the spawn of Easy Rider in a sense. Uh, Milestones was made in 1975, and uh, it is now out on DVD at long last. I kind of wish that this were out on Blu-ray. Anyway, it's out from Icarus Films, and Icarus uh, it really does snatch a lot of kind of hidden gems every once in a while. This was made in uh, 1975 and had a really controversial premiere at the Cannes Film Festival at the time because it's 199 minutes long. And it really doesn't have a plot to it. It's, it's kind of this meandering, existential, meditative tapestry of, Dud. Dud. Of, of people from all walks of life just coping with the era and the passing of the 60s and you know mid 70s is a weird time because it's sort of like disco and nixon to ford and watergate and the end of the vietnam war and you know black panthers and war protesters were all sort of fading out and we're you know we're we're like halfway between nixon and reagan and we're not quite yet what are you talking about the, the era you okay, know fine. it's sort of like it's it's this is weird the movie good or not you know what? Um, it's tough to say. It's interesting, but at 199 minutes, it really taxes you. Uh, more interesting, actually, is the uh, second film that's on here by the uh, one of the same filmmakers, Robert Kramer and John Douglas did Milestones. And uh, earlier than that, in 1969, Robert Kramer made a film called Ice, which is not as well known. It's uh, entirely in black and white as opposed to Milestones, which is in color. And uh, this is a really kind of a gritty thriller that's very much about like a counterculture revolutionary group. And, uh, you know, it feels like it feels a little bit more like an exploitation film. But it's uh, I, I almost feel like that's the more interesting effort, even though that film is also too long. It's over two hours. So anyway, Milestones and then also Ice uh, together from Icarus Films. It, worth checking out if you're kind of a, a, a movie buff from the late 60s, early 70s, mid 70s, if you love that period and. If you want to see something that kind of seems to have been, you know, like a like the love child of Easy Rider and I don't know uh, Last Picture Show, this is what that would be. There you go. God. Oh wait. I know. Uh, what what, what are we doing? You know what? Yeah, there be dragons. Uh, where? 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 Here. Oh, on Blu-ray. Yeah, there be dragons. I'm going to make a real quick mention of this. Uh, Roland Joffe has just completely screwed up his entire career. There's uh, there's like another Roland Joffe movie coming out on on DVD that just he apparently just crapped out some dumb erotic thriller or something. Uh, his be, son is is starting to get some work too. You know he's not bad. He's not bad. It, it be, yeah, he's not bad. Give it time. Yeah, give it time. Uh, but Roland Joffe just totally lost it. This is the guy who, of course, did The Killing Fields and uh, The Mission and then wound up making crap like The Scarlet Letter and uh, just totally disintegrated. Anyway, um, this is all set during the Spanish Civil War, and it is, um, it's it's a bad movie that aspires to be a good movie. So I have a hard time really saying too many horrible things about it, but it's uh, essentially the... Um, the story of a, of a very famous priest who um, it, it kind of becomes this uh, central figure during the uh, Spanish Civil War. And it uh, it's on one level, it thinks it's Dr. Zhivago, but it's not even close. Um, and uh, I don't know. I admire the effort, but I don't admire the result. Does that make sense? No. Okay, never mind. Anyway, um, you know, there you go. Roland Joffe. I don't know. Let's do some TV, Mark. You know what's uh, you know what I learned about Royal Pains, which I didn't know. 
uh, which is coming out uh, season three, volume one, yeah. is now on uh, DVD. Get this, hmm. Hayden Christensen. Yes, Hayden Christensen, who yes. of course was was uh, was was integral in ruining my memories of Star Wars by just being horrible as Anakin Skywalker in the prequel saga. Um, Hayden and his brother filed a lawsuit against USA Network because they claimed that they had pitched the original idea for Royal Pains. You're kidding. I kid you not. That's bizarre. They had pitched an idea at USA called House Call about a doctor who, uh, you know, makes house calls to rich people. No kidding. And uh, they never made the, sh- the show, but they wound up making Royal Pains, and wow. they sued. Isn't that weird? Hmm. Judge threw it out. Uh, Royal <laughs> Pains is about a... Come on, seriously. <laughs> He's the you know that guy. God, he's he's fallen off the earth too. That Hayden Christensen, he's he's so wooden. He's terrible. Yeah, um, that was inevitable. Yeah. Anyway, Royal Pains is about a guy. It's about a um, about an emergency room doctor who um, winds up moving to the Hamptons and becomes a doctor for hire. You know, this is one of those USA quirky shows that always seems like never quite fully formed. A bit quirky for quirky's sake. It's it, it, try. It's one of those tries too hard shows. Like it wants to be of that. Like. It wants to be like a, like a more user friendly mainstream version of a hardcore FX show. Yeah, that's kind of what USA does. Yeah, uh, which is not really my aesthetic, but um, you know, people people dig the show. It's been on for three uh, they've, episodes. They've, it's been on for three seasons. It's uh, it has kind of a cool panache to it. I know it. Does. You know what else had a cool panache to it, it was Y five O, which yeah. at long last I know you're thrilled we're not gonna be talking about it anymore on this show because the twelfth and final season is out. All nineteen final episodes from uh, season twelve and uh not really any extras on here, but it uh, I gotta tell you, this series just came to a collapse. It is not a good season. Uh, season 12 is just running on fumes. You, they know it's the last season. The writers are really not making much of an effort. And the whole climactic showdown between McGarrett and Woe Fat, who's always been kind of his nemesis on the show. You know, he's sort of like Miguelito Loveless or the Joker. He's one of those guys that always gets away and always comes back. Um, it's, it, it ain't great. Uh, so I, you know, just compared to the earlier episodes, you just feel like this show has gotten so far away from its roots. And the new version, I don't like it. The new Hawaii Five O, I'm just I I watched a few more episodes. I just it doesn't have the same thing. Well, because you know what it is, because like in in the '70s, the shows could be a little bit more kind of charming and yeah, and it it doesn't it they don't feel the need to be cool, you know. Whereas nowadays, especially on CBS, where you have CSI oh, yeah, and these, yeah, these totally. overly lit yeah, shot shows. Yeah. Everything's got to be super cool. Yeah, really well shot. Yeah. Look at that. Mm. You know, it's it's all very manufactured feeling. So whereas in the seventies, wasn't like that. Not so much. Uh, hang on, before we talk about that, which is yeah. a big big deal, uh, we'll let's just briefly mention the final season of Dennis the Menace. Oh yes, Dennis the Menace uh, lasted four seasons, started in nineteen fifty nine, and kept going until the early sixties. The show lasted for like one hundred and fifty episodes over four seasons. This is the final season on DVD from the good folks at Shot Factory, who we always enjoy. And uh, did I like the show? Uh, I did not. I thought it was stupid. I enjoyed it. I'm going to sneeze now. Go ahead, sneeze. Hang on. Looking to a light. Okay. Don't stop the recording. <coughs> don't, don't we have a listener mail? We do. We'll, we'll get to it in just a moment. <coughs> uh, we'll, 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 we'll knock out uh, this one here, and then I'll roll real quickly through those Miramax titles, and then we'll do our, our listener mail. Uh, Boardwalk Empire has become uh, yet another great HBO original series hit. This thing took out eight Emmy Awards and uh, in just its first season, thanks largely to a very, very effective pilot directed by Martin Scorsese. And uh, this has put, uh, you know, Steve Buscemi right back on the map again. And uh, this show is pretty great. It really is. It's a pretty terrific show. Production value is great. The writing is great. The acting is sharp. Uh, it is, uh, this is a, uh, an amazing Blu-ray set of the first season that they sent us here. It's um, the audio is just really spectacular. That's the thing that most impresses me, and it's loaded with audio commentaries and all kinds of uh, behind-the-scenes featurettes on the Depression era and uh, organized crime and all that stuff. Uh, really, really, just kind of immerse you and saturate you in uh, the backstory of everything that goes on that inspired Boardwalk Empire. Um, it, of course, is set in Atlantic City in 1920. And uh, it just, uh, it, it's all, it's like a Godfather series 
set during Prohibition. And uh, it is just absolutely terrific. It is absolutely terrific. Um, real crime figures, of course, pop in, but the uh, story is primarily fictitious. And uh, i got to tell you, it, it, the, the thing that amazes me here, too, is that you know who one of the producers is on this? Um, Paulie Shore? Mark Wahlberg. Oh, just I know. He's, he's, he's got his fingers in everything, doesn't he? That okay. guy's becoming a mogul. You know, who else is a, is a producer of this? Lawrence uh, Connor or Conner? I don't know. You know who that is? No. Lawrence Conner, who is a producer of Boardwalk Empire, co-wrote Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Oh, jeez. Seriously? Yeah. All right. Um, once again, there's another blast of uh, Miramax titles, Miramax catalog titles that have come out from Echo Bridge. These are the ones that Miramax feels uh, don't deserve the A-list treatment, so they, they uh, turn it over to Echo Bridge, who, of course, is uh, very, very effective at dealing with the at kind of moving product in the, uh, the direct-to-DVD uh, uh, you know, the, in that world, that Walmart world, that Target world. Uh, the one Blu-ray here is Proof, which I think is a great film based on the play with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Anthony Hopkins and Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, really a fascinating film, and uh, it's interesting because it's it's all about, you know, math, basically. Anthony Hopkins is a math genius. Gwyneth Paltrow is his daughter. Uh, and, you know, math and a basically three characters in a play environment, you would think, gosh, that sounds boring. But John Madden, who directed Paltrow to an Oscar in uh, Shakespeare in Love, really nails it. And even though it's a very intimate film and not terribly cinematic, I think it's extremely compelling, and I think it works really, really well on, uh, on Blu-ray. Uh, the, the other titles here, uh, all of them on DVD, uh, Wide Awake, which is interesting, because you know what this is? This is M. Night Shyamalan's directing debut, and it may very well be the best film that he's ever made. He, he peaked right at the very beginning. A uh, story of a little ten-year-old uh, kid who uh, wants to commune with his dead grandfather. <laughs> it's very M. Night Shyamalan. The only thing that detracts here is that Rosie O'Donnell is in this, and I just can't watch her in movies anymore. She drives me crazy. Although it's a great six degrees of separation. What? Well, how? And how like so? somehow you will somehow you will pull a six degrees out of your butt by yeah. connecting M. Night Shyamalan with Rosie O'Donnell. That's that, that is that is a good one. Um, Boaz Yakin, who has, is, is famous as the guy who introduced Lawrence Bender to um, Quentin Tarantino, has had a very strange career as a director. He's done commercial stuff and really insanely uh, navel-gazing stuff. Uh, he, he really kind of a troubled guy. But he uh, did a film called Price Above Rubies that takes place entirely in uh, uh, Orthodox Jewish culture in New York. And uh, it's uh, a pretty lame performance from Renee Zellweger, I got to admit. Renee Zellweger just does not scream Jewish. Uh, I know that may sound stereotypical, but it just, it's, she doesn't sell it. Um, but that being said, it's, it's got some interesting stuff in it. Lawrence Bender, of course, produced it, as one might assume. And, uh, you know, the one person that, that uh, really nails it is uh, Christopher Eccleston, who is pretty terrific. And Juliana Margulies, not bad either. Uh, the Station Agent, a film I'm not terribly fond of. But oh, a lot come of on. Want... Tom McCarthy. Yeah, I He's know. great. I, yeah, you know what? If the, Win-win. I, Station yeah. Agent. He's no, terrific. I, I like those two films, but Station Agent, or I, like, I like Win-Win and I like uh, The Visitor, but I'm not such a fan of Station Agent. It kind of bored me. But I know everyone else loves it, so that's out once again as well. Outside Providence, a film that I thought completely flopped. Uh, it's just totally unsuccessful. This was directed by Michael Corrente and uh, written by Michael Corrente with the Farrelly brothers, of all people. And uh, the reason being that it was based on a novel by Peter Farrelly. I don't even know if that novel was published, but uh, apparently there's something somewhat autobiographical in this. I found the film really kind of lame. Um, so there it is. That's Outside Providence. Blue in the Face is absolutely terrific. Blue in the Face is, of course, the... Um, Wayne Wang and Paul Oster directed uh, film that uh, draws heavily on uh, the writings of Paul Oster. A tremendous ensemble cast, and this was shot back to back with Smoke. You remember that? Like, Although I remember Smoke was shot yeah. back to back with something. Is yes. that the thing? This is the thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Smoke is a great film, and Blue in the Face is a great film, and uh, Harvey Keitel is terrific in both of them, basically the same character in both of them, and uh, I just love that kind of independent film experimentation. You know, they just uh, kept a lot of people on hanging around after Smoke and said, hey, let's just have everybody talk till they're blue in the face, and we'll make a movie out of it, and we'll call it Blue in the Face. 
It's damn good. Uh, the Mighty, starring Sharon Stone, was supposed to be this uh, kind of heartwarming, inspiring human story film and uh, kind of on order with uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. And, uh, it, 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 you know, Kieran Culkin just does not carry this film. Peter Chelsom gives it a shot, gives it the old college try directing it, but uh, the it just... it. It just feels cloying. It doesn't quite come together. Uh, the Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys, with uh, Jodie Foster as a nun of all things, has kind of a cult following. I'm not a huge fan of it, but uh, I, I can't really fault it. It's, it's nothing particularly wrong with it. This also has Kieran Culkin in it. And he's a lot better in this one. And, um, yeah, you know, I, it, it's, got a, it's got a following. What can I say? Um, Flipper and Lopaka is uh, 26 episodes of some animated show that is apparently part of the Miramax library that I never heard of, and that is out now as well. And it's uh, it's kind of like quasi-lame and Disney-esque. It's all about this uh, kid like in the South Pacific and his friend who's a dolphin. And I, you know, this aired somewhere on somebody's television, but not anywhere near mine. And last but not least is a film that I can watch a hundred thousand times and never get sick of. This, to my mind, is the best film that Brad Anderson has ever made. He has really just gone off the edge with these weird thrillers and dark movies afterwards. He needs to do something like this again. Next stop, Wonderland, which has an absolutely fantastic cast and wonderful performances across the board. Uh, Hope Davis is just deliriously wonderful in this. Philip Seymour Hoffman as her uh, her ex-boyfriend who, you know, has to break up with him because she doesn't care enough about things and he's got to go help the Indians with their protest. He's such a counterculture, revolutionary protest guy. And it's all—it's just a wonderful romantic comedy. It is absolutely terrific. All these weird guys that she, she dates and uh, that want to date her. And the best thing about this is all of the, um, the samba music. It's, just, it's a score that is loaded with Brazilian samba music. All of that... Uh, all of that... Uh, Gilberto, um, Joao Gilberto stuff. It's just fabulous. Astrid Gilberto. It's wonderful. Girl from Ipanema. Da, 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 da. It's all, all over the soundtrack. I could watch this movie all day long, over and over and over. It's wonderful. Wait, don't, don't, don't sing. Okay, fine. And now we're going to get to our audio listener mail. Hey, DigiGods, this is Sebastian from Oakland, California. Love this show. Have some questions for you. First of all, where the hell is Finding Nemo on Blu-ray? Will we ever see this? Second, why do some movie studios break the standard release date of Tuesday and release on Friday? I don't get that. And lastly, if time permits, uh, what kind of home theaters are you guys watching your movies on? I recently upgraded to a 7.1 system, and it's changed the way I experience movies. So thanks again for the great show, and take it easy. Three terrific questions from Sebastian. Uh, first off, Finding Nemo on Blu-ray. Uh, it is coming out. Yes, it is, it finally. Because the thing is that Disney's coming out with... Disney is re-releasing Finding Nemo in 3D. Yes. Which they're starting to do with all their films. Yeah. <clears throat> which, of course, we hate. Yeah. And there is actually a Blu-ray teaser trailer for Finding Nemo. Yeah. So he should do a Google search... For like Finding Nemo Blu-ray or even Finding Nemo Blu-ray trailer, and he will see a tra- trailer put together by Disney for Finding Nemo's. It, it, it doesn't give a um, a, date. a date, no, but it acknowledges that it's, it's coming. It's coming, so it, we're not it, sure when it's coming, but within, it is coming. Usually, when they do that, you can you can bank that it's going to be within the next four to six months, years. Yeah. Uh, and then also, why do some uh, why do some uh, companies release on Friday instead of Tuesday? You know, for the same reason that sometimes studios will release uh, movies on Wednesday instead of Friday theatrically. It's uh, it's it, it's typically a way of bucking the trend and saying, you know, we're going to try and grab some sales either before or after some other movie that they don't necessarily want to be completely up against. There's there's usually some kind of cockeyed reasoning behind it in a marketing department, and it's usually a movie that uh, 
you know, doesn't uh, doesn't have a conventional marketing strategy. So they're trying to go a little bit outside the box and a little bit off the beaten path. It doesn't really make any sense, and I don't think it ever really makes any difference. Uh, but you know, that's some somebody's obviously making that decision to try to save their job. As for home theaters, uh, I will be talking more about mine in uh, the coming weeks because I'm redoing mine completely. So, uh, but I'm not going beyond a, uh, a 5.1. I'm not doing a, a 7, and I'm not going to need to. And I'll talk about that at the time because I, I analyzed the whole acoustic situation, and 5.1 was going to get me as much sound saturation as I needed. So uh, I'm sticking with 5.1 for now. Not, I'm not doing the 7.1, 7.2, two subwoofers. Who, knew, who needs two subwoofers? Well, here's the thing. I, I live in a condo. Yeah. Your, so. si- your system is very nice. Your little home theater, which is, is not far from us right now, I actually quite like with the ceiling speakers and the whole deal. I, I have the ceiling speakers. It's very nice. And it's, it's painted red like a, yeah. like a movie theater. Yeah. It's got a 43-inch um, Pioneer plasma. Pioneer doesn't mm-hmm. even make plasmas anymore. Yep. But they were top of the line when they came out, and mine still totally holds up. Yeah, I watch my Blu-rays on a on a PlayStation Three. Yeah, <clears throat> so um, I I love my setup, and the thing is that anything better. I couldn't really take advantage of because, again, I, I live in a condo and I can't really blast it. I, I'm saying uh, the – I will say this, that the uh, the system I'm looking at, I'm, I'm using a Sharp television and a, uh, a Marantz receiver, a, an Oppo Blu-ray player, and uh, NHT speakers. And I swear by NHT speakers. Always have. Uh, I think they are, the, uh, they are the ideal speakers for the home environment. They capture – they have amazing mid-range, and they don't have this kind of convoluted bass that you get with so many others who think that, you know, more bass is, is always better. And they're not like Bose, you know, which is, is just clarity without any, you know, the old saying, no highs, no lows, it's got to be Bose or however that goes. So, I mean, NHT is for me, and NHT stands for now, hear this. I think NHT is a great boutique uh, speaker manufacturer, and, and I've never been disappointed by their reproduction. It's always been first rate. So I'll, I will have more details on that, however, as, the, uh, as all of the, the gear is uh, kind of connected. There are a few things that still need to be worked out, but uh, that will be coming. And uh, we have another audio uh, question as well. Hi, I am Rami Alam, that Egyptian fan of yours, and of course... I do not talk that way, but I am putting that accent for cheap jokes. Moving on, my question is Blu-ray related. I live in Egypt, and we have a limited Blu-ray variety, and we are region B, like Europe. So when I buy Blu-rays from America, I only buy region 3 or the ones that are both region A and B. The question is, sometimes they write that a certain Blu-ray is region A, and that B is untested. What does that mean? So should I buy it or not? That doesn't tell me anything. So yeah, should I get those, or am I making a risk? Thank you. P.S. Lebanese film. Where do we go now? Golden Globe nomination. Should have been considered for the Foreign Language Award and the Oscars as well. But why didn't it? Because the Oscars are a bunch of redneck Republicans who wear sandals and a backpack and hate Arabs. Bye. <laughs> hmm. All right. First off, Rami, uh, uh, lay off the caffeine. I, uh, I, I've, I've got Egyptian friends, and I know that's some pretty strong coffee you got down there. So uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty caffeinated listener we got there. Um, uh, it's a good question, though. It's a really good question. Thank you, Rami, and thank you, Sebastian. Uh, thank you both for, for the questions. Anybody else, send it to gods at digigods.com. We'll, we'll play your, uh, your audio questions anytime, gods at digigods.com. Uh, the question with respect to uh, the untested thing, which shows up everywhere, is basically um, this? It, it means that it's like region A, and they haven't tried it on region B, and it probably won't work on region B. Um, but they can't say for sure because they haven't tried it. But go ahead and buy our Blu-ray anyway, and don't blame us. Is it, don't blame us if it doesn't work. Yeah, it it it, it has not been uh, it has not been product tested. Yeah, but it, but <laughs> it's it's coded for. It doesn't mean that it may work on region B. It's coded for region A. The only thing that they're making an allowance for is that some players will play multi regions. Um, but they don't, they don't want to guarantee it. But they don't want to guarantee it. But right. uh, you know the 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 thing is, most Blu-ray players now actually are multi-region. And the nice thing about Blu-ray versus DVD, which we should point out for those who don't know this, is that with DVD, it wasn't just region coding that was restrictive, but it was the fact that you had NTSC versus PAL, and there was different color coding for the different video formats. That's gone now with high def. It's 1080p the world over, so you don't have different color coding and you don't have different resolutions and PAL and CCAM, different scan rates and all that. That you don't worry about. It's only the region coding. So for that reason, 
just about every bl- major Blu-ray player of note. If you if you're paying eight nine hundred dollars or a thousand dollars for a Blu-ray player for like a Marantz or an Oppo or a uh, or an Onkyo, I think has has a high-end machine. Uh, there's a, there's a few others there that I'm I'm forgetting. Um, the uh, those high-end Blu-ray machines are almost always going to be region-free somehow. They may not be region-free when you plug them in, but there's going to be, you know, dig around on some of the forums on the Internet. There'll be some code where, you know, you open the uh, open the tray and then push, you know, uh, like one, two, mute and something else and then hold down two other buttons and it'll bring up a secret menu where you can set the thing to be region-free. That's pretty common. And those menus exist on almost all these machines because that's how the uh, the engineers actually you know, access it. It's like a hidden engineer's menu. So uh, you'll find that somewhere out there. That stuff is is, is quickly leaked uh, soon after every machine uh, hits the market. So uh, with that, but I my advice to Rami is don't don't trust that. Go with whatever it's coded, whatever the initial coded it, the code is A or, or B or whatever. Trust that. Don't trust anything that says untested. And um, that's a bummer if you can't get uh, a lot of these titles in Egypt. But um, you know, hopefully with this whole Arab Spring thing, that will. Open the floodgates. Open too. the floodgates for Sucker Punch. For, yeah, absolutely. All the superhero movies. And then they'll Fantastic. they'll and then they'll uh, regret ever having had. Exactly. All right. And um, before we go, let's read some listener mail as well, really quickly. Uh, got an email from Chavel Dixon who said, "I uh, recently saw Apocalypse Now last night and blew me away. I had not seen a movie like that before, and uh, it was an interesting experience, much like watching Uncle Boon Me." which is a very good movie. Apocalypse Now was great and looked great on Blu-ray. Marlon Brando was interesting casting, and it works. Martin Sheen looked so young, though he was about 40 when the movie came out, and I can't believe how young Lawrence Fishburne was back then. He was, he was just a kid. Um, it is sad that Coppola has not made a film like this again, but I think this movie drained him so much he can never be as good as he was. Quick question, and I agree with that. I think it's a, absolutely spot on. Quick question, as Buzz grows for Warhorse, and this Warhorse is, is now actually out, um, increasingly out, um, which is DreamWorks' big Oscar contender, would DreamWorks Pictures be considered, if not a major studio, a big studio in Hollywood? DreamWorks is... Um, what would we call them now? Because they're kind well, of... They're, they're bigger than the many majors like Summit Lionsgate, but, the, but, it's but they're kind smaller of a, than... It's sort of a failed studio because it was they divorced the animation unit and it's been having to cut these alliances with still, different major studios yes. for distribution. It still, need, it still needs distribution deals with other companies. It's know. unfortunate. You know, the major studios can distribute their own stuff. Disney yeah. distributes Disney films, Paramount distributes Paramount films, etc. Yeah. DreamWorks needs a partner... To distribute their own stuff. Very true. So they're not a major studio really for that reason. Very true. And also when it comes to the amount of films they produce in a year. And I also wanted to read a post from the Facebook page by Alexander Berlika, who uh, I always mutilate his name. I'm no, sure we, just, we, we know it now because he I told know, us. I know, but I still mutilate it. No, that I was have, good, Berlika. Was it good? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he said, here's some creative marketing for you. Guess what they called the hangover in Russia? Bachelor Party in Vegas. Guess what they called the hangover part two? Bachelor Party 2 from Vegas to Bangkok. And the pièce de résistance in Russian theaters, Bridesmaids, was called Bachelorette Party in Vegas. Rimshot. How about that? Yeah, they don't leave much of the imagination there. I think yeah. that's hysterical. I think that's really funny. I, I, I'm always intrigued by that. I, I'm, you know, I, I love Hong Kong movies and the, the way those titles get translated never makes any sense. But uh, that's always uh, always fun to always fun to find out how movies get retitled in other countries. And with that, we are done. And uh, after our awards dinner, I am heading out to Paris. So I will have stories from Paris next time. Paris, Texas, with Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, no, Paris, Idaho. <clears throat> Really? Well, maybe. You are going to eat. You are going to just eat that city. Gonna, I'm, I'm going to eat that city until it just collapses. You better believe it. Oh, yes. Yes.